What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Nat, man. The Nats are back. They are. They have never left, but (laughs) see. Well, they'll die soon because it's getting cold here. That's good. Uh, Well, welcome back, everybody, and welcome back to the Nats in uh, Andrea's (laughs) office. Um, If you've been here a long time, you know that that has happened for quite a while. Yeah. But. I am really excited for this episode today because this is a story I had not heard. It is solved. Obviously, Yay. it's very tragic, but it's nice to, to see a solved case. And it is related to Halloween-ish. So we're just going to get right into this story today. Okay. Let's do it. October 31st, 2010 was a Sunday. 16-year-old Devin Griffin had spent the night before October 30th at his father's house and he headed home around 9 30 that morning to change for church so his parents were divorced he primarily lived with his mother and stepfather but he had been staying that night at his father's I couldn't find if it was like how much shared custody but he would spend time at his biological father's okay So he headed home around 9.30 to change for church, and while at home, he saw his stepbrother, BJ, in the driveway, and it looked like he had been loading something into his father's truck, and BJ asked him how long he'd be gone, and Devin said, I'll be back shortly, I'm just going to church. So Devin then left the house and headed to church, spent the morning singing there, he was in the church choir, and then he headed home back to his mom and stepdad's dad's house at 7052 North Ohio 2 in Martin, Ohio. Now, being a normal teenage boy, when Devin got home, he headed straight up to his bedroom to spend his Sunday holiday playing video games, which like, honestly, I'm like just picturing this crisp Ohio Sunday, Mm -hmm. like you went to church, it's Halloween, you come home and you're like hanging out playing video games before you like do a Halloween party or whatever you're going to do that night. Like, it just sounds like such a nice day. Right. Like all cozy. Exactly. Maybe I'm just reminiscing because it is not getting cozy here at all because I live in Southern California. But, you know, that's the vibe I was getting. Yeah. So he spent the early afternoon playing video games. But by around 1.30, he kind of started to realize that he hadn't heard family members like moving around the house their house was usually buzzing with activity on a Sunday and since it was Halloween it should have been kind of even busier and people walking around but he realized that he hadn't heard anyone Hmm. so Devin headed downstairs to the master bedroom and when he walked in he found his mom and stepdad still laying in bed so 46 year old Susan and 53 year old William were laying in bed with their maroon-colored comforter pulled up over their heads, which Devin found as bizarre, but they had had a Halloween party the night before, so he thought maybe they're just, like... Recovering. (laughs) Sleeping it off. Exactly. Okay. So he walked into the room, and he started talking to his mom to, like, wake her up, 
And he moved over to her side of the bed and he saw that her foot was like sticking out from under the covers. So he kind of tapped her leg, but she didn't respond. Mm -hmm. He kept talking to her and that's when he pulled the covers down a bit and saw that her pillow was soaked in blood. Oh my gosh. His first thought was that it was a Halloween prank. Again, they had had that Halloween party the night before. It was Halloween. He thought it was fake blood. It was a Halloween prank. That was his initial. That's where his brain went. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's awful. So his mom wasn't responding to him. And that's when he quickly realized that this wasn't a funny prank. It was real blood on her pillow. And with that, he sprinted out of the house sobbing. So let's back up a little bit and talk a little bit about the Lisk family. So Susan and William Lisk got married in 2001, and they moved into a home in Martin, Ohio, which is kind of just outside of Columbus. Susan had two sons from her previous marriage, Devin, who we were just talking about, and Derek. And William had one son from his previous marriage, William Jr., who went by BJ. Okay. Now, Devin and Derek had a pretty good relationship with William. They, you know, obviously it's not the perfect relationship, but they, by on by all accounts, they had like a normal son, stepson, stepfather relationship. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. However, BJ did not have the best relationship with Susan. Uh-oh. So this obviously led to a lot of turmoil within the family because William was constantly having to balance like his loyalty towards his wife and his loyalty towards his son and like trying to make it all work but we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit okay so on Halloween in 2010 Devin went down to his mom and stepdad's room and found them lying under their comforter when he pulled it back he saw blood And that's the last thing he remembers before he was screaming, running out of the house, sobbing. So Devin was only 16 and not knowing what to do, he first called his aunt, Lori Morse, who then called 911. In that 911 call, Lori actually named William Lisk Jr., or BJ, as a potential suspect. Oh, dang. Saying, quote, they've had a lot of trouble with BJ with the law. And he's threatened Susie before, but there's been all kinds of trouble. So from the jump, they were like thinking he could be involved, but they had no clue. They, the police hadn't even gotten to the house yet. And when they did arrive at the house, they found an absolutely brutal scene. So William had been shot in the head and face five times. Oh my God. Yeah. Susan had been shot in the head three times at point-blank range. It is also believed, because of the position of her body, that she was sexually assaulted. Mm. I couldn't find if that was, like, confirmed in an autopsy or not, like, if they were able to confirm that. But by all accounts, that's what they believed because of, like, the position of her body and how she was found. Both William and Susan had been shot while laying in their bed. And it's believed that it happened while they were asleep. Wow. So at this point, only three of the five members of the family were accounted for. William and Susan and then Devin. Right. 
So with that, police started searching the home and they headed to 23-year-old Derek Griffin's room. So Derek was Susan's other son, Devin's biological brother, and he was living in the home with them. And when police got up to his door, his door was locked from the inside. So like it hadn't been locked from the outside. It was like locked from the inside. So police had to break down the door to get in. And when they went inside, Derek was lying in his bed, curled up, his back to the door, his head facing the wall next to his bed. And when they approached him, they noticed he was not breathing. No. He had been beaten so badly, and his official cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. It is believed that he was killed before Susan and William because otherwise he likely would have heard the gunshots and would have not Mm -hmm. been, like, in his bed. Stopped it. Yeah. So now everybody but BJ was accounted for, and BJ was nowhere to be found. And he lived with them full time? Because I know you said he was the dad's son. Yeah, so he did not live with them full time. Uh, Okay. I'll get into the details of that in a little bit, but he had stayed at the house the night before. He had slept at the house the night before. So he should have technically been there. Exactly. And as I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, Devin had seen him that morning Mm. and, like, talked to him around 930 before he had gone to church. So, like, he was definitely at the house and should have either been there or been in the area and they like couldn't find him anywhere there were no accounts of where he was he wasn't picking up his phone like none of that he he couldn't be found basically okay so when police started investigating the scene they found no sign of forced entry or even a struggle which is why they believed that everybody was killed in their sleep this also led them to believe that this was an inside job because there was no sign of somebody breaking and entering right also and i found this really interesting the shell casings from the 22 caliber gun that was used to kill susan and william were missing so somebody had like stopped taking the time to pick up the shell casings and you know take them with them or dispose of them right the gun wasn't found anywhere either so i was like okay the person like took all the evidence But right outside on the family's back deck was the claw hammer that was used to kill Derek. So it's like, okay, you pick up the shell casings, you take the gun, but then you leave the claw hammer like right on the back deck. Maybe he dropped it on his way out, like in a hustle. Maybe, but like, I feel like that's something you hold on to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're going to take the effort to take the sh- uh the shell casings. bullet shell casings yeah. then of course you're gonna take that with you because that probably has your fingerprints on it exactly like the shell casings like yeah they might point to the gun but like that the bullets in the bodies can also point to the gun so like yeah that and they wouldn't have your fingerprints on them until and that's you hard to them. trace too because like yeah. bullets i mean they mass produce bullets so exactly so yeah that i found that very interesting Um, On the back deck or near the back deck, police also found muddy footprints that led them to believe that the perpetrator had possibly tried to dispose of the gun in the pond behind the family's house. Like it kind of looked like somebody had Mm. gone back to the pond, come back, and there were like muddy footprints. Okay. 
that pond was actually drained and searches all around like behind the family's home and all of that wooded area was all searched but the gun used to murder susan and william has still to this day never been found oh wow my thought is like maybe it was disposed of in that pond and then like something happened to it with the elements i mean it's not a river but maybe it got like buried or something you know draining a pond you can only do so much um right and i think by that point they didn't necessarily need the gun to like get a conviction so my thought is like maybe it wasn't as thoroughly searched as yeah i could be wrong that's just like my speculation and my thought but right I don't think it's, like, the craziest thing that it wasn't found. Like, I still think it could have been disposed of in, like, the backwoods. Yeah. Or maybe he even went out there and was like, I'm going to dispose of this gun. And then he was like, wait, it's Not a in good my idea. backyard. Yeah, yeah like- exactly. That's, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, like, the investigation into these deaths began. And being the one that discovered the bodies, Devin was obviously the first suspect. But police never really considered him a suspect. He had no violent history. He had no motive. And on top of that, neighbors had reported hearing what sounded like gunshots around 6 a.m. that morning when Devin was confirmed to still be at his father's house. Okay. So he actually went home with his parents, passed away. Oh, my God. And his brother. I'll explain (gasps) this a little bit more in a little bit, but it's not... 100% 100% confirmed that they were not alive at that point. Okay. Like, okay. the time of death couldn't be narrowed down to that degree of, like, it was in the morning, but they couldn't 100% confirm that it was, like, at 6 a.m. Okay. But from what I've read, I feel like that is more likely. Yeah. And he had seen BJ putting something into the father's truck, which was then missing, which I'll talk about in a minute. And so, I don't know. I, I kind of think that that was the case. But, you know, he just ran yeah. home to change and then left for church. It's not like he even expected his, like, family members to be up yet. Right. Yeah. So, Lori Morris, um, Devin's aunt, who I believe is Susan's sister. Not 100% sure on that, but I believe that that was the relationship. She told police that that morning at both 7 and 9 a.m., she had called the family's house phone and gotten no response. Mm. So she was, like, a little bit worried, especially because Derek hadn't showed up for work that morning. And so that's, like, why she called and she was concerned. But at the same time, the family had a party the night before. So it wasn't, like, super, super urgent where it's, like, I need to go over there right now and find out what's going on it was kind of just like oh they're not picking up that's weird Derek didn't show up for work but not like the most urgent critical situation right she also noted to police that the family's Ford F-150 was missing so that's the same truck that Devin says he saw BJ loading something into it was William's truck and it was always on the property and it was gone so all of this together led police to look into 20 24-year-old B.J. Lisk, and he was nowhere to be found. When police started looking into his history, that's when they found that he actually had a pretty extensive criminal record. Oh. Yeah. So starting in 2002 is the first report. 
16-year-old BJ had a fallout with his father after which he threatened to harm himself. So at the time, BJ was actually on house arrest, but I could not for the life of me find the charge that led him to be on house arrest. Okay. But I'm thinking it was like robbery, that type of charge. And, you know, juvenile court, he was only 16 years old. So that's just house arrest. Yeah. So because of all of this, because of the altercation, William called the police. And when they arrived, BJ apparently attacked them, which then led him to have further assault charges in juvenile court. Jeez. When BJ was 18... He reportedly attempted to attack Susan while she was in the shower. (gasps) What in the world? Why? He did not get along with her. Okay, so like. He hated her. He said that he was unhappy that she was trying to exert authority over the household. And that's why he was acting out against her. Well, she is a mother and she has children that live in that household. So, and if. If you're going to stay at someone's house, you have to respect their rules, even if it is your stepmother that you hate. Like, Yep, exactly. So during that attack when BJ was 18 or after that, his father kicked him out of the house and was like, okay, you can't live here anymore. Yeah. In 2004, BJ got into an argument with Susan where he had punched her in the chest and the aggression the towards fuck? his stepmom just escalated from there. So two okay. months. I was just gonna say, like, you're a grown man. You do not punch a woman in the chest. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and so that happened. And then two months after that, BJ and Susan got into another argument where he actually threw a coffee mug at her, and then he stole her car keys and ran away with her car. Okay, so where is his mother in all this? I could not find anything about his mother. So I don't know if she was absent. I don't know if she was no longer alive. I don't know if she was involved. But he definitely wasn't living with her. So it sounds like maybe he has some pretty deep-rooted trauma from whatever happened there. That's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Taking it out on this new woman that's, you know, perpetrating on his mother's life or whatever he thinks. Yeah, exactly. It could be, like, anger that, like... My dad left left. my mom. Yeah. 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 Or it could be anger that uh, toward his mom that he's now just taking out Mm -hmm. on Susan. Yep. So for this incident, the throwing the coffee mug, he was actually arrested and charged with assault. And at the time, he was also facing other charges of robbery. So he was like actually facing charges at this point. But at some point, a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity was filed for him. And they took that plea, and then the charges were eventually just dropped. What? Yeah. So this was like a disaster. It Mm -hmm. just, he kept getting into trouble. He kept struggling with authority. And his father was like, you can't live in the house because you are threatening my wife. Right. However, in 2006, William actually filed for full guardianship of BJ, hoping that he could kind of, like, try to help his son. So at this point, his son was an adult, but he was hopeful that, like, he could actually try to help him by having guardianship. Yeah. 
And then in 2007, BJ was hospitalized for to quote unquote recuperate from his mental illness. So he had reportedly struggled with mental illness, mental health problems for a long time, but he yeah. had never been treated or properly like diagnosed. Okay. So at this point, he was hospitalized and. According to court documents, during this hospitalization, he was actually diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type. Oh, okay. And according to the Mayo Clinic, people with this condition can experience psychotic symptoms such as hallucinations or delusions. And they can also experience symptoms of bipolar, which would lead to like episodes of mania and then episodes of depression. Yeah. So he was definitely struggling and he was now officially diagnosed with that. But unfortunately, there wasn't too much they could do. Yeah. He was moved to a group home for mental health patients. So he was supposedly receiving some treatment, but it's a group home. So it's not like he is stuck there. He can still leave. He can still do things and he could probably get away with like not taking medication that may have been prescribed to him like I don't know the direct dynamics of this group home but right he definitely was not getting the complete proper treatment because he had at least three violent encounters while at that group home one of them being with his father when his father was picking him up from the home at one point so he was still getting into these altercations Mm -hmm. So at this point, BJ was not living with his father and stepmother, but William was trying to improve his relationship with his son and help him the best that he could. In mid-October of 2010, William took BJ on a deer hunting retreat, and by all accounts, it went great. They returned shortly before Halloween, and on October 30th, the Lisks held a Halloween party at their house. And BJ was at the party that night, He, again, everything was fine. Even though he wasn't living at the house, he was still visiting. He was still going there. So he was at the party, and William was going to be taking him home that night. But William had been drinking at the party, and so by the time it was time to take BJ home, he decided it's safer for me to, like, keep him here and have him Mm. stay on the couch than me try to drive because I've been drinking. I mean, yeah, that's fair, but Uber? No, (laughs) what year was it? 2010. I don't think Uber Uber existed in 2010. No. But taxis did. Yeah, true. Yeah. So BJ, quote unquote, slept on the couch that night. But as I mentioned earlier, around 6 a.m., neighbors heard what sounded like gunshots. Right. When BJ's stepbrother, Devin, returned home quickly the morning of October 31st to change, as I had mentioned, BJ asked him where he was going and how long he'd be gone for. Devin later recalled that encounter being a little bit odd, saying that BJ was normally gloomy and quiet, but that morning he was unusually happy and talkative. That's so sick. Yeah, so that really makes me think that he had already murdered them. I think so too, especially if somebody claimed to have heard what sounded like gunshots at that hour. Yeah. I do want to just note also the exact time of death has never been determined. And, you know, it's not confirmed that that, those were gunshots. Right. But it is likely that when Devin came home to change, BJ had already committed the murders. 
Thankfully, it did not take too long for police to locate BJ. He was at the cabin that him and his father had stayed at during their trip just the week before. This was about 170 miles away from the family home in Martin, and the cabin was actually owned by a family member. So police headed to the cabin, staked it out, and they saw the family's truck sitting outside. When BJ exited the house and went toward the truck, he was arrested and brought in. Initially, BJ was only charged with the murder of his father because investigators wanted to ensure that they could build a case before fully charging him with all of the murders. They, you know, they knew that he had done all of them, but they didn't want to like, right. go too far. And charging him with one murder was enough to hold him until they could. Right. He was eventually charged with um, six counts of aggravated murder. So this was three counts of premeditated murder and then three counts of murder with aggravated robbery. So it was like two for each. Okay. He maintained his innocence on the murder with robbery charges. So he did not. He was like, no, that that's not what I did. Okay. But he did eventually plead guilty to the aggravated murder charge. And he did so in order to avoid the death penalty course yeah so because he had a history of mental illness and had been hospital hospitalized for it before they had to determine if he was competent to stand trial when i first heard this i was like oh shit they're gonna say he's not guilty by reason right. of insanity or something like that like what happened with the assault charges years yeah. before but this time he was found competent to stand trial and I'm oh, okay. so happy for this. And I do feel like this actually does happen more often than you realize where somebody is evaluated to see if they're competent to stand trial. And they are because all that means mm -hmm. is they have to understand the charges being what brought against them. Wrong. Yeah. Yep. And so a lot of people, even people that struggle with mental illness, still can understand that. So absolutely, he was found competent to stand trial. And in September 2011, almost a year after the brutal murders, murders, B.J. Lisk was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Excellent. B.J. never stated a definitive motive for the murders, though. Wow. But his struggle with mental illness, his history of violence towards Susan and others seemed to be kind of the culmination of all of that was the reason. And who knows? He may have been drinking that night yeah. and, you know... The combination of that with his mental health issues and his medication yeah. could have just been a recipe for disaster. I mean, we, we don't know that, but that very well could be a possibility. Yeah, he could have just snapped. However, prosecutors do believe that it was somewhat premeditated. So he was charged okay. with aggravated murder, which is different from first degree murder. But they do right. believe that it was somewhat planned. It wasn't like a spur of the moment, just like went crazy. Okay. At his sentencing, he said, quote, I loved my dad very much, and it makes me feel sick every time I think about what I did. I can't really explain why all of this had to happen, but I think most of all, it had to do with my mental illness. Okay. He also said, quote, I cannot explain why it happened. Only my eternal struggle with mental illness caused by great affliction from the devil. Satan was and still is working to destroy my soul. Um, okay. Like... I get it. He's mentally unstable. He's mentally, he has mental health issues, but 
you made those decisions. Mm-hmm. Yes, the devil, I guess, can influence you, whatever. But mm-hmm. you made those decisions ultimately, so you have to you have pay, to face that. pay for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the way he was like, I loved my dad very much. Like, But I killed him. Sick. Yeah. It just, I know sometimes mental health can be a cause Confusing. of a lot of this. Yeah. And, yeah. For people who don't experience it, especially. Yeah. But in this case, it just, oh, it's just so frustrating the way he said, it's because of my mental illness. That's what makes me feel like, well, it also was you. Yeah. Like, the fact that he is like trying to blame Aware. it on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that being said, maybe now he's properly medicated. So maybe he is understanding. It's hard to tell. It is. It, it really is. Because even when people are properly medicated, I mean, some people are just evil. Yeah. They just are evil. I mean, I yeah. don't know why. Nature versus nurture, whatever. But some people are just evil. Yeah. Yeah, so he was going to be spending the rest of his life in jail. On March 31st, 2015, 29-year-old BJ Lisk was found dead at the <gasps> Correctional Institution. What? Okay, I was not expecting that. His manner of death was ruled to be suicide. Oh, that's actually really tragic. Yeah. Dang. How? How do people commit suicide in prison? What? When are we going to stop giving people that are, like, under mental distress sheets and yeah. knives and razors? Whatever. I don't even know. But I know that's ignorant and I'm that's not what they do. But I, I just, know. It, like, why are they not being watched better? This, yeah. this kind of I stuff mean, shouldn't happen. No, it shouldn't. And, like, he wasn't on suicide watch, but he had previously threatened to harm himself. Like right. years ago, but still. And yeah, no, it's it's Dang. frustrating. And, you know, while it is unfortunate that he couldn't get the help that he needed, yeah. he did still murder three people. Right. He stole three innocent lives for no yeah. reason other than his own hatred and rage. Right. So before we close this out, I just want to talk a little bit about the victims. Susan Lisk is remembered for her kindness and the light she brought to all that knew her. She worked as an office manager and was a member of the St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church. She was a loving wife, mother, sister, and friend, and she brought joy to everyone in her life. In her free time, she enjoyed to hunt, camp, and garden. And friends and family remember her for her big heart. Wow, that's so sweet. William Bill Lisk was a United States Air Force veteran, and at the time of his death, he was working for waste management. Like his wife, he enjoyed hunting, fishing, gardening, and being outdoors, and he was a loving husband and father. His friends miss his smile. 23-year-old Derek Griffin was a loving friend and a kind soul. He loved to spend time on the lake, and he was also a second-degree black belt who actually fought in Italy for the U.S. Taekwondo team. So wow. I thought that was really cool. That is yeah. really neat. He also loved to run track, and in high school, he set a school record for the 4x2 relay, and his friends remember him dearly. Mm-mm. He was so young. I know. It's so sad. It really is. But that is the brutal 
senseless murder of Susan and William Lisk and Derek Griffin. And we can't forget about Devin Griffin, who lost his entire family that day. I know. He was only 16. Like, that's so tragic. Yeah, he was just a baby. But despite the tragedy he encountered, he still managed to complete high school. And he's actually now married with a son of his own. Aww. He married his high school sweetheart who actually got to meet his mom and know her for over a year before she was murdered. So I just oh thought that gosh. was so neat because it's like his mom got to meet his future wife, even though she, yeah. they didn't know it at the time still. Right. And I'm sure she helped him tremendously like while he was grieving too. Yeah. Yeah. He said that she was there for him through everything. And their wedding was actually at the Lisk property. So like the the home was on like a bunch of land and their wedding was actually right Right. there. And an investigator that had been on the case from the Ottawa County Sheriff's Office was actually at the wedding. Oh, cool. And he later recalled how incredible it was to see that Devin was so happy after all of the tragedy he'd been through. Yeah. Mm. In an Oxygen documentary that aired just last week, he said, Devin said that while he missed his brother from the start, when he turned 23, it hit him that he was officially older than his brother ever was. Ugh, stop. I know. But he said despite this, he really tries to not hold resentment for what happened. He says there's a lot of hatred in the world, and he tries to not hold hatred in his heart and just tries to remember his family for who they were, the incredible people that they were, and, you know, tries to live the best life that he can. That's great. That takes a, I mean, that really takes a lot of effort to to think of it that way. Yeah, I saw a clip of him speaking from that documentary and hearing him speak. It was just so inspirational his perspective is so incredible and like i think a lot of us can learn from from that type of perspective yeah but that is where i'm going to end today's case the absolutely tragic halloween massacre of the lisk family i hope that you can all join me in remembering the victims and you know i just i really was so inspired hearing devin's perspective and i think that we can all remember that a little bit today yeah so that's all we have for you guys today we will see you on thursday with a brand new episode and until next time keep it human bye guys